0: Thick and Thin Hoops, where ball is always life. I'm your host, Karthik, here with my co-host, Nitin. What's good, Nathan? What's up, man?
1: We are live in round two. Every game by the end of this recording is going to be through game two. So it's actually a nice time to chat and check in because unlike round one where there's too many things going on, some series are nearing completion, some feel like they're just getting started. This is, this is much more consistent uh, of a... Uh, kind of timeline for us much more consistent. But what I hate is that
0: the two most interesting series are now stacked on the same day. Mm -hmm. And so we're following that pattern where, you know, one day we get two series that frankly are not that interesting and are kind of foregone conclusions at this point. But the other day is where all the good stuff is happening. And then the worst part is they're now sandwiching the two games from those two series, right? Games two and three before we get game three, Yep. in the Warriors Memphis series and Boston Milwaukee, which is all everyone cares about right now. So outside of that, it it is nice. Slow down a bit. You can kind of pay attention to these more closely.
1: Well, we all wish that Miami Philadelphia just wouldn't happen and we could advance Miami directly through. That's one of the more depressing round two series that I can remember. Uh, it, it reminds me, uh, you're not going to be happy with this reference, but in 2005, the Wizards beat the uh, the Bulls in round one, and it was a pretty big series. Oh, it was our first series win since the 80s. Um, Gilbert Arenas hit that game winner over Kirk Heinrich. I think we all remember where we were when that happened um, <laughs> as a country. But then we played the Heat in round two, and this was the Shaq-Wade Heat in their first year. So this is actually not the year they won the title, but the year that first year Shaq was there, and it was a bloodbath it was a four zero sweep. In fact, Shaq did not even play the last two games. It was original load management during the playoffs. <laughs> but not that the Heat, Philly is that bad, and of course, no Embiid. But it has that level of kind of, I don't know, what's the word? It's just like the foregone conclusion. It's just like this depressing walk through this series that we know is not competitive as long as Embiid's out. So... Oh no, Wizards Heat was way more entertaining because at least Gilbert
0: Arenas was a hot name back then and somewhat exciting. Yeah, We're watching the scrap. corpse of James Harden and yeah, like I guess Tyrese Maxey, fine, but like this is
1: totally different, man. This is this is depressing. It's bad. Yeah. Well let's, let's let's not get there. Let's start on a happy note, which is like you said, we'll we'll start with the two series uh that we that clearly are the most entertaining. Let's go in the east. The Boston Celtics are tied up 1-1 with the Milwaukee Bucks. Now, this is a fascinating series. I think after Boston's sweep of Brooklyn in round one, everyone's like, look, no Middleton, home court advantage for the Celtics. They're firing on all cylinders. That defense looks legendary. They have to have the upper hand. I think most people would probably have picked. We both picked Boston in six. Game one happens. Giannis, despite not shooting the ball well, completely controls the flow of that game. And they get after it, they think a double digit victory. Now, at that point, did you waver at all on that Boston and six prediction? Were you like, oh wow, I totally misread and misunderstood the, the champions, the the reigning champs looking for blood?
0: I think I definitely underestimated Milwaukee, but I still would feel more comfortable going Boston and seven. Uh part partly because, and we'll get into this, Giannis. They it's not like they didn't have an answer for Giannis. Giannis did get to his spots. He had a good game overall outside of the shooting, but they made it tough on him. And then the three-point shooting from everyone else was going game one or not going. They didn't shoot well, but enough to keep them in it. And then game two, it fell off a cliff. So we always knew that that part could kind of change on a dime. And so I never thought, I wasn't jumping to conclusions after game one thinking that it was going to be, you know, they were going to make short work of the Celtics.
1: I was ready to take bucks and four no I think I think that's I think that's right because even after so game two Marcus no Marcus Smart suddenly you're like, oh shit, is this a basically a make or break situation Oh when Salt Marcus Division? Smart
0: was ruled out, I thought they were gonna lose. I'll,
1: I'll yeah, there like there's no way they can go down O2 at home like that series is done. And they just beat the brakes off the Bucks. And to your point, I think it's really important to, to note, Giannis went 9 of 25 in game one, right? He had the triple-double, and he was great defensively, and there's all this stuff going on. But the reality is he did not shoot the ball well. They troubled him all game. And then game two, he goes 12 of 27, right? And so a lot of that scoring also happened when the, the deficit was 20-plus points. So it wasn't exactly like the most locked-in version of the Boston defense. And this is why I think both of us like Boston, which, as great as Giannis is, there are so many bodies they can throw at him. I mean, you look at a guy like Grant Williams, who was an afterthought uh, a couple years ago, suddenly he's like maybe the most important player in this series, just because he can guard Giannis one-on-one without giving up a lot in the post. I mean, I don't know how many players in the league can say that, right? You have Al Horford helping, you have Robert Williams rolling, you have Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown. I mean, Daniel Tice, even Marcus Smart can guard him at stretches. I know he might not, we're not sure how much he'll play or not play, but, It is incredible, just the way they gave Durant trouble. It's incredible to watch them kind of sort of neutralize the greatest two players in the league, essentially, right? And it's like, what the hell is going on? Like, how do you combat this? And you brought it up. It's like if Milwaukee hits their threes from Connaughton and Grayson Allen, yeah, that's going to go one way. But if they can't, they're struggling to generate consistent offense, I think, um, in the half court. And that's what Boston's done to teams all season long.
0: That that half court offense, and so this is where you miss Chris Middleton, who can get you a bucket. Drew Holiday is not—he's not that guy. He he can score, he can put up twenty points a game, but he's not bailing you out of critical offensive possessions. And the length that Boston's throwing at Giannis, and you know it's it's kind of a reminder that Giannis is mortal because I think what we saw last end of last postseason, throughout the regular season, in the first round, and in Game One. Remember, that's when kind of the narrative started kicking up again. It's like, why aren't we calling this guy the greatest player in the game? Mm -hmm. And he is. I think we're still all in agreement there. But it's his flaws. As I've always said, and I used to harp on a couple years back, uh, or I mean last year, not even a couple years back, they can get magnified in these moments, right? Where you don't have the Kevin Durant ability to shoot over the top, get a couple of long threes to get yourself going. it it, when it gets stuck in the mud it gets really stuck in the mud but you know they're going to live and die by the three and on the flip side on defense they're also the team that has always gives up all the threes uh, they can right they limit your your effectiveness near the paint in game one guess what it worked game two boston hit (laughs) 23s and so you're, you're playing this game right it's a high variance game and I think the series is going to be topsy-turvy the rest of the way. Like We're going to see games where Milwaukee looks dominant again, and then they're going to also lose by double digits. Um,
1: and, and yeah, well, credit to
0: Boston's defense for making it that tough on Giannis.
1: Yeah, and I think both teams play a very aggressive sort of like physical style of defense that to me in game one, they bought, Milwaukee did a great job really making life difficult for Jason Tatum. Jalen Brown had a really bad game. And some of that I wonder is just like, look, Jalen Brown went gangbusters at the start of game two, and it kind of changed the tone, and that's not really what he's going to bring every night. But, But I think defensively, both of the teams are so locked in that their floors are generally very high. The problem is the defenses are so good that the other team's offense is struggling. We actually saw Milwaukee have not a great offensive series versus Chicago, right? Like the last two, three games, they looked very good. But the first couple, they were sort of like, what's going on with this team? And that was with Chris Middleton, right? So now you have a team that doesn't have that half-court presence. You're counting on a lot of role players to hit shots. And yes, they're battle-tested. They're all champions. But it is a high-variance game to play as you know, still the series underdog. And you think about that win for Boston, not only does it tie it up 1-1, but I think it was a statement win, right? Like you go out and, you know, sort of take it to them in a way that was right off the bat. They were up big. I think they started the game up 15 to 3. They were up 25 at half. And so then it's like, okay, wow. Like suddenly a lot of that sort of goodwill from game one, I don't know if it sort of um, evaporates or if Giannis and co are just like, look, we split in Boston. That's all we had to do. Now we take care of business at home. So, I think, needless to say, Game Three is going to tell us a lot more. But I like the way Boston wins more than I like the way Milwaukee wins. If that makes sense, like I it's think it's more a more sustainable thing. Yep. Yeah. And we look, talked look, about that early last Boston week. Boston can weather a
0: horrible Tatum game here and there. You know, they, that Jalen Brown. They've got kind of checks and balances on defense that can keep a game close enough that it gives them mm-hmm. a shot at the end. Milwaukee, yep. it just feels like they're dependent on too many role players to be successful. And at, at some point, you know, like Wes Matthews is giving them playing a ton of minutes. I mean, and not yeah. giving them much. And he's got, <laughs> and Wes Matthews, it feels like he's been washed, washed up for like four or five years now.
1: So, yeah, like how many years I has like, it been know? since? How many years has it been since the Kings tried to max him out after the Achilles tear? That feels Dude. like 40 years ago. <laughs> feels like a long time ago.
0: And he had the third most minutes in that game. Um, and of course, you know, towards the end, obviously, they're down, you know, but uh, third most minutes on the team in game two. That is not good. You're not getting anywhere with Wes Matthews yeah. playing that high. And, and look, he was also a minus, what was he, minus 24 on the court. So. Yeah.
1: I also think that the 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 Bucks just need a lot more from Brooke Lopez, who, like I mentioned, again we were talking about how it's bad if Brooklyn Brook Lopez shows up. They kind of need a little bit more of that because what was so effective for them in Game One was this big big lineup that was giving Boston problems. Actually, Boston's the one that's kind of like screws everyone else over with their size and physicality. But the Bucks were the ones doing that. They were playing Giannis at the three, which is crazy, right? So. I think they need a little bit more from Brooke Lopez. They need him to be kind of on the floor more. Like he was at minus 18 in 25 minutes. He had two points and six rebounds. Like, I think that needs to be a bit more of a kind of dominant performance so that when they do bring guys in from the bench, those are all guards who are all shooters around the bigs that they have. They're going to have three big man rotation, and then they're going to have a ton of shooters. And then to your point, Drew's got a, I mean, he's just not an, he's just not a consistent offensive player. So we saw this throughout the playoffs last year when he like, dude, I don't know if people remember, like, he was being compared to Eric Bledsoe at the start of that playoff run. They're like, oh my God, we did all this yeah. stuff, and now we have Eric Bledsoe 2.0. And, you know, he dispelled some of those demons, but he still got some of the same wards, right? And so without Middleton, you almost have no margin of error if you're if your holiday is like the secondary shock creator for this team. Defensively, do you think Milwaukee needs to do anything different? It's hard four, when I mean, they've had this core, and this is their identity that they played for the last four or five years. Like, last year, they started switching a lot more. I think you have to switch when you... Like, guys like Tatum and Brown can just walk into three-point three sh- uh, shots, right, coming off the pick and roll. And so I think they have to be a little bit more aggressive. The problem is they can't really trap Tatum or Brown because, A, those two guys have become really good passers, but then, B, they have guys like... Grant Williams they have guys like Al Horford who are good shooters and so it yeah. becomes very and good passers so it becomes very tough to, to trap I think you know you don't want to switch because then Tatum's gonna you know Brooke Lopez is gonna be on an island with Tatum but I think they have to figure out something maybe it's a hedge and recover type thing
0: yeah and Jalen Brown I mean you're right they're both solid passers and Jalen Brown in the past has had tunnel vision and it's very easy to kind of get him driving and then he's going to focus solely on just shooting. But I think in game two, he actually, he made some good passes, some good kickouts, and and he also had a great scoring game. So when he's doing that and Tatum's doing that, there's nothing much you can do. Um, and, And Milwaukee's formula of just giving up the threes, man, it's like, you know, I don't know if you remember, like we, there was a lot of talk about whether that is the right way, especially when they're struggling in the playoffs, the middle of the playoffs last year. Yeah. It's like, I think we talked about it too. It's like, is this the right way? Like you're giving up all these threes and for a team as good as Milwaukee, you create a high variance game and you're creating more opportunities to, right. to lose. Um, and I know that's not the full story here. Cause Boston's just so good defensively and they've got Tate yeah. on Brown, but they, they they shot 43 threes in this game
1: yeah and you know they had like grant williams is not going to go six of nine you know and then jalen brown's not going to go six of ten again and even tatum went five of ten so it's a bit of it's like okay we're happy to give up 43s because we think there's going to be a big time reversion to the mean but they also won by twenty three, so even if there's yeah. a bit of a reversion to the mean, there's a significant amount of room that they have to go before that game's in jeopardy. So, as much as the Bucks' defense is in question, I actually think their offense is 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 more important because in neither game do they look super crisp. Um, like I said, Giannis is what twenty one of uh, fifty two in this series, and he's shooting like under twenty percent from three. So. He's going to become a better version, a more efficient version of himself and, and drew the same thing. So, and again, good offense is going to generate better defense because you can operate against a set uh structure versus being in transition. Yeah,
0: no, that's true. I mean, it's offensively that they need to figure things out. And, and Giannis has gotten the yips a little bit at the free throw line again. Um, yep. Yep. And so it's, you know what, but you're right. Look what you said earlier, it's one, one, they're going back to Milwaukee. So, we, we can't act like the sky is falling for Boston after Game 1 and then Game 2 do the same with Milwaukee. right? And, and Chris Middleton, what's his timeline? Is he even
1: possible I, I to mean, come back? This originally, they said three to four weeks, and they said we're not going to rule him out for the series. I, maybe it's a Game 6-7 kind of thing. Like I don't think it's anytime soon. To your point, they benefit from the schedule just kind of being elongated because they yeah. want these matchups. Like Giannis yeah. and Steph are probably the two biggest draws left in the playoffs, right? So they want um, these guys on ABC Saturday night, which is why they're kind of being screwy with the with the schedule. So that it helps them. But then again, they play on Monday, right? So it's going to move quickly after that. Yeah. I don't know. I haven't heard anything definitive. And you can't just count on him. Like, we've seen so many guys come in, come out. Like, it's not always like you can just come back like Luka and be an immediately dominant, right? There's going to be time. Even Booker looked kind of bad for a game, right? And so. Um, they don't have any uh, room for him to be bad for a game. They kind of need him right away. So, I also thought it was interesting that Marcus Smart's loss was not that impactful. <laughs> and again, maybe that was just because of the hot shooting. But I, I, I joke that he's probably their third or fourth best defensive player despite winning DPOI. Yeah. But I do think that there's some validity in that, especially with the way that defensively it's all about the bigs the versatile bigs and offensively i think they can cover for his playmaking between tatum between horford and brown like i mean i like smart i think he's a good player but i think he's he's a little overrated in like the jay crowder kind of like he gets the draymond green like energy benefit versus like i don't know that his skill is commensurate like he's their third or fourth best player and that's that's fine you Get the
0: slow-mo hustle plays and all of that yeah. to the charges, of, yeah. the charges, the stuff that sticks out—they don't. I mean, they didn't skip a beat defensively, and no. because they have plenty of wings, and it's not like Smart yeah. is a, you know driving their perimeter defense in any way. So really, it yeah. yeah and
1: Derek White is—I mean, granted, he was O of six from the field, 0 of 4 from three, but defensively, he is almost the same level as 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 Smart in terms of being a disruptor. Who do you have in uh, in game three? Uh
0: I like I like Milwaukee. I think it's gonna kinda of ping pong back and forth.
1: I think um, Boston takes the game three and okay. Milwaukee wins game four. So I think we're going back to Boston 2 2. Same,
0: yeah. But I yeah, we just flipped have the games flopped. This
1: is an interesting series because we've now seen two double digit wins and so it's like the series hasn't really started because we haven't seen like the crunch time needs yet. When we get to like late game decision making, late game shot making, then is where I feel like there's a lot of value in kind of what's the chess match right now. Like I'm not sure how many stops Ime Udoka had to pull when his team's up 65-40 at half, you know. So
0: this right. series it's very early. It's only two games in, but it's reminding me a little bit of that Heat Spurs 20 mm. 30, uh, what was it twenty thirteen finals, yeah. where every game was kind of a when you watched one one team, one given game in that series, one team looked like they should run away with it, but it kept kind of going back and forth, where the Heat would win by fifteen twenty, the Spurs would yep. win by fifteen twenty, and any depending on the game you watch you could not believe how the other team even stood a chance to win that series. So just from these two games, it feels like that. Because after game one, there were a lot of overreactions about Milwaukee. It wasn't, yep. you know, and granted, some of it's, you know, the media obviously is going to overreact, but it it looked bad for Boston, but they bounced back in a big way. So,
1: Interesting stat for you here. Milwaukee won by 12, was it game one? Yeah. Yeah. In the last 12 series where the road team has won by double digits in game one, they're actually two and 10 overall in winning that series. And so small sample size doesn't include the bubble, obviously, but I think it's indicative of like game one overreactions, game one, game two and onwards adjustments, uh, all those kinds of things. So I think that's something to keep our eye on here. Uh, Does Bud have all, can he pull out more stops? when they just aren't, when they're in need of a bucket, like they don't really have a ton of guys they can dust off. So, all right, next up, the absolute most entertaining series thus far, the uh, Memphis Grizzlies and the Golden State Warriors, they're tied up at one amazing game one. You know, the Grizzlies kind of got screwed, right? They played Friday night in Minnesota, had to travel back home to host on Sunday afternoon because again, they wanted the ABC slot lost by one on a game-winning three by Clay, essentially a game-winning three by Clay, followed by a good defense on the other end. Game two was just as fun, right? Ja goes off for 47, just absolutely murdering them down the stretch, and they end up winning 106-101. So we're headed back to Golden State. I think similarly, the Warriors have got to feel encouraged to split, despite all of the different things that have gone on for them. But what were your initial takeaways? Uh maybe we'll start with uh Memphis on offense because I think that's the most interesting kind of thing to me with with how Golden State is defending Ja.
0: It starts with Ja. And it starts with the fact that I don't even know. Some of these some of these plays <clears throat> Golden State plays perfectly. But it's the it's the athleticism, the acrobatic kind of moves. I mean, he they they send a double into the post. He's got two guys kind of jumping while he's going up for the layup, but he can just maneuver around them in a way that I haven't seen that from a player in a long time. And, and I think with Ja, I've been a little critical of Ja this series, you know, from our thread, because he plays so out of control. And yeah. it works. It's really good. And I thought about why it was frustrating me so much, and I realized that it actually is totally fine, because this is, and I'm, I'm going to throw out a whopper of a comparison here. This is like early... Career LeBron, where full steam ahead to the rim, the cerebral part of the game, the knowing exactly when to kick out. John does that sometimes, but he gets yeah. tunnel vision, and it still doesn't matter. Golden State, this vaunted defensive team, or what used to be this you know vaunted defensive team, they can't they can't send help fast enough. They can't contest these shots in a way that makes it really difficult. And he's just cr- making extremely difficult shots. And so the worry I have, though, I, I mean. Ja, I think his potential is through the roof. This guy is special. But at the same time, I think Memphis in the series is playing with fire the way they're relying on those kind of late game heroics to save them. And, and both games yeah. were close. And game two, I really didn't think the Warriors were going to drop that. But Ja, you know, was incredible. So starting with Jaw, I think amazing, amazing player. And what he did those first two games is nothing short of just you know
1: yeah well i don't special. think that jaw had a great first round right like aside from that like biz- barrage of points i think to put him home to to take him home in game six like i felt like he was very uneven he had a good game one but was inconsistent then you look up and his overall playoff numbers are 27 11 and eight and he's you know, shooting 40, you know, he's not shooting the ball great, 41%, I think 30% from three, but he had four made threes in six games versus Minnesota. He's had nine in two games versus Golden State. So some of that is not sustainable. Maybe the real answer lies in the middle. But I was thinking about this and I was like, you know, 2019 draft, you know, uh, Zion goes number one, Ja goes number two. They are the same player. And here's what I'm going to say. Obviously, I don't think okay. you could find two body types that look more <laughs> dissimilar than Ja and Zion, but, like, they have... Let's let's focus on their weaknesses for a second, right? Their primary scorers, they both are good facilitators, but it's not, like, their main strength, right? They are not very good defenders. Uh, definitely get hunted on that end. And they have uneven outside shots. In theory, these are the kind of players that you can defend, and there looks like there's absolutely no defense for either of them. The main thing that they can do both do, and the reason why this comparison was apt is they have an unbelievable way to get off shots at the rim in completely contested situations with ease and like uh just seemingly effortless where you're just like, "How the fuck did he get to that spot for the layup?" right? Jaw will be, and they do it differently, right? Zion's through brute force, jaws through more finesse and acrobatics. But sometimes I watch Jaw, and he's going through Clay, and he's going through Jordan Poole and he's going up and around Draymond and Steph. And it's like, how in the world did that transpire? Like, where was his angle to get to the rim there? And when you do that over and over and over again, like he was, on one hand, it looks like the defense is not doing anything differently, not trying. The other hand, it's like, this guy is just this special um like he's in the air longer than what everyone else has come down and that's just what it is and I think the biggest thing is that type of athleticism towards the rim yet the finesse to finish in tight spaces is just unbelievable and like you know he had 47 I think game one he was he also had a big game I don't have the number in front of me of how many points he had but
0: 34 I think
1: 34 yeah and so it's just like man I don't, I, I you know, the Warriors don't really have the foot speed to keep up with him, but they need to try to trap. They need to do something. They need to get the ball out of his hands because he's just slicing them up. And defense is all about anticipation. It's all
0: about understanding. Good defenses know what your go-to moves are, how to counter your moves and kind of take away your strengths. To your point, the unpredictable nature of what jaws is doing at the rim, you can't guard that. You can't when he switches mid-air, like completely goes up and under, like like one of those old Jordan clips, mm-hmm. you literally cannot anticipate that. And so to some extent, you can play really good defense and he's going to get that shot off every time. Yeah. They have to make it more difficult, not give him the head of steam. He is getting that head of steam and getting to the rim. And once he's got that speed going, it's very difficult to stop. Even so- similar to Zion in some ways, like what made Zion so effective playing from the top of the key yeah. Is that when he got that head of steam, he could get to the rim and kind of work well around there. So I, they got to make him more uncomfortable. And if there's one thing Josh still struggles with, it's like I said, it's a little bit of tunnel vision where he has those turnovers, where he gets kind of caught up in the paint traffic and yeah. before he can kind of kick it out or make a decision, they turn it over. I think Golden State also is facing an issue offensively because I mean, do we want to go to? Do, let's stay on Memphis first. Uh, yeah, the only,
1: yeah, the only other thing I'd add is like Jaron Jackson Jr. Right? He's yep. once every two weeks looks like a guy worthy of a hundred million dollar contract, like he was in Game One with thirty three, and every other game he looks like an evolutionary Kwame Brown. So I, I, I really struggle with what to get expect from everyone else. Like Dylan Brooks has not been good. I mean, granted, he got thrown out early in game in Game Two, but he was not great in Game One. Desmond Bain looks Desmond like Bain he's. Is- laid, I don't, it looks like he's laboring on the court. Like he does not look healthy. He does not look like he's getting to his spots. And like he's a guy who was amazing in round one. I think he had forty nine percent from three. He's just struggling to kind of get it going here. And you know, they. I would be worried if I was Memphis, frankly, uh, because as as much as the Warriors look like they can't contain Memphis's offense. I'm worried about who's going to step up next to Ja consistently. Um, And I don't think you can just count on like a grab bag each night. Yeah. They they were down 95-90 or they were up
0: 95-91 near the end of that game. And that's when Jaw's kind of string of just crazy finishes. And I think he had a three-pointer down in that stretch as well. Or maybe that was earlier. Ended up kind of putting them away. But that – you can't rely on that um, if you're Memphis. And Desmond Bain – yeah, the health must be affecting him because he's just, lumbering's the right word. He looks also a little passive on offense. Um, there's some times where he could shoot spot up for a three and he kind of hesitates and then has to kick him back out. And Zaire Williams gave him some good minutes, but I also, is that reliable? Um, given that he hasn't been that critical
1: of a player for them down the stretch until... I mean, he's a this rookie. Game. He's a 20-year-old rookie. How can we expect him to be... I couldn't believe he was playing crunch time minutes and taking crunch time shots, yeah. and to his credit, making them. Um, That needs to be someone else, because when in, you're in Chase Center and all these crazy Silicon Valley tech guys are yelling at his face like <laughs> with the Patagonia vests on, like it's a different situation, man. That's the wild, wild west out there. Yeah, so it, th- that's the thing. Golden State is
0: going to be a... They're going on the road now. It's going to be a tough environment. It's a young team. So would I be surprised if the Warriors took the next two and went up 3-1? I actually think that's what's going to happen.
1: Well, you did say that the Grizzlies were going to get scraped last week. so I I mean, they could still lose in
0: five, right? So let's not... uh...
1: That's true. But two of the five games are already in the books, and they're close. So I don't know how we count that. Um, The transition to the Warriors offensively starts with... Maybe their main issue defensively is that Clay Thompson is not 2019 Clay Thompson anymore. And he's very possibly going to get it back. Uh, you know, he's still kind of 50 games into after a two year layoff. So again, KD kind of spoiled everyone's minds around what post Achilles life should look like. But man, five of 19, to me, clearly not as good of an option i know he had the game winner in game one but he wasn't even that good then but definitely somebody who i think needs to i don't know what they do because he can't really they can't really defer it's too ingrained in the whole thing that they do but he's a guy who i'd like to see shoot less and more shots go to, to jordan pool honestly
0: pool's been their most consistent player on offense when i say consistent because steph will go through kind of the games were like this last one where he had a couple of big shots in the fourth, but before that he was struggling and pool for some reason is always pretty consistent now. Like he can 20 points a game every time, relatively good shooting. The clay thing's becoming a huge problem because defensively, he's also not offering the same kind of um, lockdown defense. He was before offensively. I know he's trying to get back into a rhythm, but he's forcing some of these shots. And I don't know if you saw but I think I don't know if it was in round 1 or towards the end of the regular season there are some clips where Clay Jordan Poole has the ball, Clay's calling for it, gets yep. frustrated. Now, we can over, you know, read into it too much and all that, but I think that he he's feeling a little marginalized by Jordan Poole. It's understandable. He's frustrated, you know, he's coming off a big injury. He's trying to get back to playing the way he did before. Playing like but, Jordan Poole. Playing like Jordan Poole, but <laughs> The five for nineteen, two for twelve. It was it
1: was bad. It's ugly, uh, and and it wasn't even like five for nineteen in the rhythm shots. A lot of them were forced, like you forced. said, like Clay, and and like a lot of shooters will have five for nineteen nights. Steph has those all the time, but they they're good shots, and I don't think he's taking good shots. Um, and I don't know that he loves the pool edition, whether that's pool's play style or whether there's a little bit of envy, a little bit of kind of like, hey man, that's kind of my role here. Uh, and I don't know. So I think, look, I think the Warriors, ultimately, I'd, you know, I picked them in six, I guess, or five. I don't remember. You probably had something similar. We, I guess we didn't know when we recorded who they were playing, so that was part of the issue.
0: Yeah. But
1: um, I think we both liked them to advance against either opponent. I think I still like them to beat Memphis. But, like, I'm watching Phoenix right now, and they're fucking eviscerating the Mavericks here in the fourth quarter. Like, Chris Paul just – Put the clamps on this game and this potentially this series. It went from a close game to now 17 point lead. The Suns don't make mistakes ever. And if you're the Warriors trying to make the t- title, yes, you have the firepower to beat the Suns, but this kind of lackadaisical, like loose ball control, bad shot selection version of this and like defensively sort of like disorganized version of the Warriors that we're seeing right now, that is not going to fly versus Phoenix. And so they. If anything, they have to really tighten up how they're approaching um, the, the long run because they're very much at the start of their of what they think is their possible journey.
0: And I, and I still think they're going to give Phoenix quite a big bit of a fight and also maybe even win that series. I don't see it now as much, but at the same time, we have to look at Golden State and think about this is not necessarily the same team we've seen in years past. You right. have a hobbled clay. Jordan Poole as great as he has been, we don't ha- he hasn't played the playoff crunch time. Um Kuminga is getting big minutes. They're relying on uh Kuminga. They're relying on guys like um uh, well Gary Payton Jr. until unfortunately Gary Payton who now took him out may not be back to the finals if that. Uh so yeah. they they don't have that rhythm that they normally do because there are some different pieces involved and you have Clay obviously trying to still get back into form. But I, I just I just don't think that Memphis, I think they're still too raw to take advantage of that. And a team like Golden State in a seven game series with Clay, Steph, Poole, Kerr, they're gonna figure it out. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and look, Draymond was not in round game one. I think they were very, very lucky to have won that game. I thought Memphis should have won. And granted, if Memphis won game one, maybe game two goes differently. There's a butterfly effect yep. uh, component to this you can't ignore. So regardless, maybe this thing was going to be 1-1, right? Like, that's just the reality. Um, I think, again, similar to the Bucks, celtics series, like, the the crowd is going to be wild in game three. The shooters for the Warriors who may have struggled, including Clay, are going to get some home cooking there just from, like, the friendly confines. And they're going to do what the Warriors do, which is have a couple barrages of shooting. If Memphis can't withhold that, then, or it can't answer, right, if Bain and Brooks and Jackson are not making shots, it's going to be really tough to just say, hey, Ja, like, save us. No, yep. because, you know, they're going to have a different defense to, to sort of counteract that. They've, they're have they going to have a lot of time to think about it between Tuesday and Saturday. It's a lot of time to adjust rotation scheme, etc. cetera. Mm-hmm. And they've
0: seen everything. This is a team that's seen everything yeah. played against all kinds of teams. They're going to have an answer for job for sure. So,
1: yep. OK, let's move. To the second set of two, uh, so starting with uh Philadelphia, Miami. So when we recorded on Thursday, we did not know uh that Joel Embiid had suffered this orbital bone fracture. Um that news I think came out Friday. Incredible bummer. Um just just feel for him on a personal level because he's been through so much health-wise and even though they were probably slight underdogs in this series, you had to feel good about their chances just because he's playing at such a, such a high level and Miami doesn't really have a big traditional big to guard him. Right. So bam, we thought was going to be a, you know, he's going to struggle in that matchup. Now it's Deandre Jordan, uh, which is a little different than Joel Embiid. So they're getting kind of waxed right now. It's two zero Miami, Miami's doing whatever they want. They're just drilling threes, having a, South beach party down there. <laughs> I, I think the main point of the conversation has to center around James Harden, who we have talked about ad nauseum, but basically there was a lot of conversation about, is this the new version of him? Is he just trying to play his way out of the Brooklyn situation? Like he tried to play his way out of the Houston situation. He's been in Philadelphia now two and a half months. Um, these are the moments that he came to Philadelphia for to try to win a title. I know he doesn't have his teammate, but maybe maybe the best player in the league, but damn, he is so far removed from the Houston version of James Harden. It is scary to watch. He cannot do anything on the court that is beyond like his normal range of of play, and it's. I mean, they have no chance because he's become Demar Derozan, and what I mean by that is a good player who can't really elevate to take a team to the next level when he's the last man standing like he used to be by the way this is a version of harden that used to exist it doesn't anymore he's shot uh game two confirmed it i
0: think the 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 hope for sixers fans or for harden fans was that this was like you mentioned he's kind of adopted this new play style where he doesn't have to be as aggressive because he hasn't been he can play a playmaking role even in game one fine he plays that playmaking role doesn't look for his shot as much as you think you might need to. They lose game two, though. The fact that you know you're going to need that offense, and this is really the only ha- chance you have of staying in the series, is to go balls to the wall and put up points. Yes, he didn't even show the aggressiveness for like if exactly. he shot five for twenty five, that's one thing. That's one problem. Right. I almost prefer the, that he couldn't even. He's not even aggressive enough, and I don't even think it's a personality thing. I think he's just. Like you said, lost the step. He can't generate offense anymore like he used to. And that severely limits the impact of the ceiling of this Philadelphia team as it stands. Now, we can talk about the contract and what they need to do, but I think what this taught us is that Harden definitely, it's not just an injury. It's not just a motivation thing. This is who he might be now. And unless you have other good talent around him and shooting around him, he can't carry you. I mean, they got smoked
1: (laughs) both these games. This is not who he might be. This is who he is. What stage would we be waiting for the real James Harden to show up if not the playoffs in an absolute must-win scenario, right? We got Victor Oladipo, who's got a bionic leg he borrowed from the Winter Soldier at this point, scrapping James Harden. He can't get by him. One-on-one, Victor Oladipo is just – and I know James Harden was doubled a lot in the second half. He had 15 in the first half. But even those 15 – They felt quiet. They felt pedestrian. They just felt like a result of like, okay, he's made some shots, got to the line a few times. Nowhere near the kind of like individual fingerprints all over the game dominance that we saw just a couple seasons ago. And I, I, it's not there and it's not going to come back. Like at this point, I don't know what we'd be waiting on. The hamstring appears healthy. He's gotten to a situation that he wants to be in. He's playing in high leverage situations and none of it matters to change the outcome. And like you said, he scored what 21 points or 20 points tonight, dude. That needs to be 40. Can you get us 40 anymore or can you not? Because if you can't, this is an entirely different version of this player than what we saw. like his peak was that he was Jordan as a scorer and like you know, magic as a passer. And I don't mean by that play style, I just mean in yeah. terms of production, right? Like he was averaging 35 and 10, and it's like, what the fuck? This is crazy. Now we're not getting really much of either. Uh, A little bit more on the passing side, because I think that's less uh, of an issue when you've lost athleticism. But, I mean, you're asking Tyrese Maxey as a second-year player to be the aggressor. And you're the 10-time All-NBA, 10-time All-Star, top 75 player of all time in your prime on a Max deal. So they've got big, big questions to answer, because I don't know what we're watching from him.
0: And theoretically, the step-back three should always be there because the way he generates space on those step-back threes means that it's there for you every time. And he doesn't even feel comfortable doing that. He took five threes this game. He shot 15 total shots. I I don't know what it is, but the comfort level on offense is not there. He's comfortable playmaking, pick and roll, making the pass, drive kick, but he cannot go ISO one-on-one. And... That's part of the reason Philly went after James Harden. The whole idea was, I mean, it helps to have the playmaker. It helps to alleviate some of that burden off Embiid. But man, like this is—they're—they're they're expecting Danny Green to save the day. Like Danny Green was trying. Uh, Danny up shots. Green
1: certainly didn't help him. One for ten. One for nine from three tonight. But yeah. that wasn't the issue. Um, and 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 um. Okay, so.
0: Speaking, before we get to the... the con- I want to talk about his contract. I want to talk yeah, about we, the contract, what Philly does. Embiid, the thing that I'm concerned with Embiid... So they talked about him maybe coming back for Game 3. Chris Haynes also reported that yesterday was the first time he was able to use his phone because the light that comes from the phone was bothering him. Oh my God. I have I no eat. idea how... If he could, couldn't even look at his phone until yesterday, I don't know how he's going to go under the bright lights and play... In Game Three, granted it's at home, so you're in a friendly arena, but they're gonna they're gonna need him to score and be you know 25, 30 point per game and beat. So does Phillies have a chance? I don't know.
1: Yeah, I mean you have to be really careful because he's also not a shooter from outside. He's not like a guard where he's not gonna mix it up as much. His life is in the paint. He's gonna be battling for rebounds. He's gonna be battling for post touches. And so one elbow here or there, suddenly something happens and you have like a bigger, longer term injury and a more painful injury. So I mean, they got to think about this because again, it's his embiid's prime. You can't really waste years at the same time down to zero. If he has any sort of risk of re-injury, you have to look at that. Like, fuck, we might be, I mean, bad hand, but this might be what it is. Like we can't, we can't worsen this potential situation. But, um, It's funny when you said, I want to talk about the contradiction, but first we have to talk about, again, I thought you had mentioned the one seed heat, but for a second straight series, we're just ignoring what they're actually doing. This is a team that is firing on absolutely all cylinders. Suddenly I'm wondering why we're not considering them as a favorite to come out of the East. They're dominant and they're getting production all over the map. They had 17 combined points, sorry, 37 combined points today from Victor Oladipo and Tyler here off the bench. Bam Adebayo is cooking. Defensively, he looks as good as he did versus Atlanta. And Jimmy Butler's been sort of uneven, but came alive in the second half today. And so what don't they have to make a finals run? The The problem with
0: the Heat is not that people are just... They're not dismissing them. They're ignoring them. And part of it, there's two reasons. One Is, is that better? Well, <laughs> t- t- there's two reasons, right? One is they're just not an exciting team from their makeup. Uh, Bam maybe, Hero maybe, it's they're not a new up-and-coming team. They don't have a top five, top ten guy in the NBA. And then two, both their first, their first and second round series are against teams that beyond their star player, Trey Young or Embiid, they're playing against teams that are highly limited and they take advantage of that. So it's hard to read into it, whereas we look at Boston and they beat up on a Nets team. So that's worthy of talking about um milwaukee granted they played chicago but they're the defending champions and every other team has a storyline or has something in the postseason that makes them exciting the heat for whatever reason haven't had that yet so i don't think they are going to get respect or talked about until they play in the conference finals and then
1: depends on how they do there they're going to be hoisting the larry o'brien trophy (laughs) and we're going to be like i don't know that i love miami to make a run this season I don't love that I like their sh- late game shot creation. I don't think that they have a top ten player. That's the point we're gonna get to. I mean, they should be getting talked about right now. I know Embiid's not playing, but they're scrapping the Heat, uh, the Sixers. Um, they're taking them out of everything they like, and offensively they're clicking right. Like offensively, you look at it and like, okay, in a way, depth is almost perceived negatively. Uh, too much depth in the playoffs because it means you don't have the one go to nope. guy. But Jimmy has proven he's a go-to guy in the playoffs. Um, Bam, yes, he is not yet, but he's the second guy. Hero, you're a little worried about, but Hero is a little bit more mature player. He's a third-year player in the league. He's not like a baby like he was in the bubble run. So I think you have to. We have to elevate maybe our expectations because these guys have proven it all year long. I think it's wild, by the way, that they basically benched duncan robinson who was starting for this team most of the season and they haven't missed a beat because max strews is suddenly the next duncan robinson and gabe vincent they don't even have i haven't even mentioned the name kyle Lowry, their starting point guard who's missed the first two games of this Lowry, series. Yeah. so
0: he hasn't it,
1: had so what he did. i i i think especially with the way oladipo has come along this is a game changer potentially if he's real if he's for real but let, me, but
0: let me ask you this. Everything you said is on point, but are you surprised that the Heat aren't talked about? Like, what is so interesting about them? We saw some version of this team two years ago in the bubble. Um, what is new and exciting and something that they've done so far that warrants conversation?
1: I mean, I think they had... Well, first of all, they're the one seed, right? Uh, in the bubble. Well, wait a second. The bubble, they went to the finals. So isn't that a great result? It is. I, I've
0: always said that people like you want to dismiss the bubble as a friggin glorified, I don't know,
1: summer camp. I mean, I mean, it looked like indoor Rucker Park. But aside from that, yeah, like I guess Drew League bubble real NBA. That's kind of the hierarchy of, I think, what what we saw. But nonetheless, um, no, last year they just got swept because it was a, the team was off. They They just weren't clicking. They were kind of hurt this year. I think they have better players, right? Hero's a better player. Bam is better. Um, they added Kyle Lowry, who wasn't there last season. I mean, the last season they had like kind of like a banged up Goran Dragic running the show. Uh, I just think P.J. Tucker has added an element to them. And then they have all these other dudes who have come up, like the Struces and Vincents of the world. That are they're giving them more than they had last year, and so this is a different team. Yeah, you can look at it like B- Bam, Jimmy, Hero; those are the same guys, but I think around them, it is not the same team. I think they just haven't had a statement victory, right? If they beat the Nets in the first round, granted they're
0: a much better team than the Nets, but if they beat the Nets in the first round, that would have been
1: you're like Stephen would A. About.
0: You're like Stephen A. You're just looking for content. No, the I'm, Nets I'm not saying what. I'm not saying we shouldn't talk about them. You're trying to say, why isn't anyone talking about them? And I'm giving you an answer. There's a reason. I'm
1: saying, why isn't our podcast talking about them? We uh, we can talk about that. We, we can talk about Max Truce all day long. Nah, right? I want but... to talk about Harden's contract. That's more <laughs> exciting to me. Okay. So Harden has a $47 million player option, which I guess he forgot to opt in. I don't know what that means, but he still can opt in. I believe this summer before free agency starts. If he opts in, I think the expectation is they would tack on an extension of of sorts. Um, Four-year extension, I believe, is the max they can do. Otherwise, he can opt out and sign a brand new five-year deal worth up to $260 million, of which the last year, I believe, pays north of $60 million when he is 37 years old. Given that we just spoke for 15 minutes uninterrupted about how bad he looks and how much he is not the player he once was, Given that the Sixers just sold the farm to get him, and he is Maury's uh, love interest of the last 15 years, what the hell do the Sixers do about this situation?
0: Well, here comes the classic case of the sunk cost fallacy, right? Because you've given up all this to get Harden, and now the Sixers feel compelled to keep him and build around him. I, I actually think it's not going to be a five-year 260. I think Maury and Harden have had an understanding. He's going to get paid, but I think it's going to be, I wouldn't say team-friendly, but it's not going to absolutely just, you know, put constraints on Philly in terms of their long-term future. And so, but that still begs the question is, I don't know if he's going to opt in or not. Um, If he does sign a new deal, I don't know what it's going to look like. And should Philly just, they have an option or beyond, obviously Harden can opt in this year. They have an eject button. If they really wanted, they could let him opt in and then just play it out. And if it sucks next year as well, say, see ya. Uh, So it's not that bad, but I just think that they're not going to end up doing that part of it because like you said, they gave up the assets to get him. And second, because this is a Maury and Harden they have a relationship. I think that matters. And I think this is, this guy's going to be with them long term. It's just a question of how
1: long. The goal with any of these post-30-year-old big-time contracts is you'll be okay with it being an albatross in years four and five. You're just begging that the first three years look okay and you can get enough value out of it. Chris Paul, incidentally, that was a philosophy with that initial deal that he had, the Supermax. They thought it was bad immediately, yet not only was it bad, not bad immediately, he got another essentially close, close to Supermax. So that's the best case scenario. Um, and I'm not applying this to guys like LeBron or Durant who have yet to show any real signs of decline. It's more of like the the Westbrooks and, and, and even like Wall when he got that deal, uh, some of those. And again, there's many different ways this can go. I think this could look bad in year one. Um, and I, th- I know Harden was a deserved All-Star this year, so he just made the All-Star team this season. His raw numbers are good. And maybe it's like, okay, we're going to pay $50 million or $45 million to him. Might as well do that versus having no other option because it's not like they could just like, okay, can we just get in a different guy? It's, it's him or nothing. So they're going to keep him. They're not going to let him walk for nothing. They just have to figure out how to upgrade the Tobias Harris spot if possible. They got to figure out how to add more actual shooters, not Danny Green, around him. And they got to change the version of this team to let him be basically just a point guard, because I think the days of him putting up 30 plus are over. We, we probably both agree to this. The, the days of him being a dynamic kind of like living at the line, living in the paint, making life hell for opposing defenses are over. So they have to if they're going to pay him, which they're handcuffed to do so they got to morph the roster in a way that makes him as effective as possible. And that's going to be hard because you also have to think first and foremost about what makes Joel Embiid effective.
0: Isn't that hard though? Uh,
1: because
0: when is Tobias coming off the books? Two more years, two more years, but he becomes an after, expiring after this one. He becomes after an expiring, one. right? He, he uh, he does, so then yeah. he becomes tradable. You have Maxi, and what this Philly team is lacking right now and you can see it in the series, like the shooting. They hit, what, six threes in game one and eight in game two or vice versa. They haven't hit more than eight threes in any game. And you, I think everyone has to just adjust their expectations to Harden being just a point guard. Now, is that what they signed up for? No. Is his contract going to reflect what he actually does in the court? No. But if the question is, can Philly construct a team around Harden and Embiid that's a title contender in the short term? The answer is absolutely yes. They just need better shooting, which you can get for cheap. Maxi needs to continue his trajectory of development. And then you find a way to flip Tobias or ultimately, you know, a couple of years, his, he's off the books and you can, I don't know, put some other pieces around them. So I, it's yeah. not looking rosy. I get it. But at the same time, I still think that they can, there's a scenario in which they can come out fine out of all of this. You just have to readjust how we think of Harden as a player. And build accordingly
1: right yeah and i think the house is on fire right now because Embiid's not playing and we forget that he's again like maybe the best player in basketball uh and certainly is on some nights and so you look at it you're like all right well he covers up a lot of deficiencies and they were the damn one seed before they even made this trade when simmons was sitting in a freaking ashram somewhere right so to that in that perspective it's kind of like all right well we can figure this out so yeah, I mean, I think the next two to three years, Harden's still going to be productive. Um, but I think we're going to keep seeing this kind of decline. I think the athleticism is gone and that first step, that burst is gone. I don't know what an additional offseason is going to do. Doesn't It doesn't sound like his lifestyle has slowed down at all, right? And you kind of were hoping that maybe he would transition to a different phase. But, um, but yeah, I think Embiid... Be- is gives them a very, very high floor. And more, he's going to look at this like sun cost or not. They can't get those assets back. So in a way it's not a sun cost because Harden is what they traded it in for. So letting him walk is still better than having no replacement, right? Because that's ultimately where you would land. Uh, and, and not that he would walk, not that that would actually ever transpire, but there's just no world where that makes them a better team next season, or even for the next three seasons. The problem is doc. Uh, He's not their biggest problem, but he's a problem in the sense
0: that do you trust him to scheme or to work around Harden's limitations or put his players in the best position? Doc is hes a good coach in, in many aspects, but at the same time, I'm starting to wonder, especially with some of the decisions. Look, Game 1 and Game 2, they were for, we knew the Sixers were kind of going to struggle unless Harden went supernova. But there's also part of that blame falls on Doc for not trying anything different, not, I don't know, going super small, not um, changing up much from a schematic standpoint and just trying to give yourself a chance. And starting DeAndre Jordan game one and then game two seemingly out of stubbornness because people criticized that and he was quick to say, we're going to stick with it. I don't know what yep. the answers are, but I just don't know if Doc Rivers is also the right coach with this the way this team
1: is. I don't is think Doc around. Rivers is a good coach. I think he's a or good he's motivator. Good, yeah. And I don't think that in any like if you replace Doc Rivers with Ty Lu, who by the way the Clippers did do that exact replacement, at least there's some element of like you know experimentation. There's some element of creativity. There's some element of playing to the strengths of your roster versus just playing to your own sort of inhibitions and your your sort of expectations. And there's a way to get the most out of what you have. They're never gonna win the series if Joel Embiid's not playing. I think that much is clear. They have to try something that's not DeAndre Jordan playing this game. Um, I know Paul Reed picks up he had five fouls in thirteen minutes in game one, and I don't know, I think he ended up not playing much tonight, but Something's got to give. You can't just keep running your ramming your head into the wall, especially when you are you know drawing the short short stick. And 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 Theibel,
0: right? Can we talk about Thibel? because this is a guy who early in the season seemed like this untradable asset, or Maury would not part with him in any trade package. And he's what Andre Roberson? He's got <laughs> yeah, no offensive he... game. He's literally useless out there.
1: And he's not vaccinated. And he's not vaccinated, so I. So well, we hate him. No, I agree. I think um, Andre Roberson's the right. Con- he's a better defender than Roberson, but equally like just being left alone in the playoffs. This stuff gets too easy, right? You have seven games to just sit there and watch film and do exactly take exactly away what they like to do. It's hard to play Thibault because you're playing four on five offensively and defensively. He's not like. Prime Dennis Rodman, right? He's not prime Kawhi or something. Like, he's good. He's very good, frankly, but he's not taking out Jimmy Butler and just saying, hey, you're done. You're not scoring. It's not that level. And so you're not getting enough on that end for what you give up. Yeah. Well, Dave, there we go. Yeah. We spent. Even by,
0: with you trying to talk about Miami, we actually closed the more ratio time of sixers on Sixers to the Heat.
1: <laughs> Five to one. That was the ratio of threes the Heat hit to the Sixers so far this <laughs> series. Um, all right, last game. This is sad for me on a personal level because of how much I love Luca, but the the Suns are absolutely stuffing the Mavs in the locker through two games. They were down two at the half and just absolutely eviscerated them in the second half, specifically the fourth quarter. Uh, They outscored him 40 to 26 in the fourth. And that wasn't even as close as, it you know, that was, that sounds closer than it actually was because Chris Paul, who is on another planet from an efficiency standpoint, these last three, four games dating back to the Pelican series, he's putting on a clinic in the fourth quarter. They're hunting Luca. Luca had 24 in the first half finishes with 35, but total non-factor in the second half. And there was a lot of like, to me, the, the the story was, could this be the 2007 Cavs turn with Luka being LeBron? I think in a way it is. It's just that they played the best team in the league two rounds earlier than LeBron got to them, right? LeBron played the Spurs in the finals and just got destroyed in a very similar fashion. That's what's happening right now with the Suns, where a one-man show, numbers look good, teammates not good enough, and eventually he just wears down and I don't think there's any chance uh, for Dallas to win this series. It's it's going to be over in 4 or 5, I believe. And Suns so are finally tuned up.
0: What was I telling you? You were the one talking about this Luka maybe run, the 2007-type run, and you could see it. I was always in the camp of this Dallas team is going nowhere.
1: Did I just and not I... explain why it actually is similar? The freaking 06, 07 Cavs just got to play the – the fucking Sunflower East over and over again they, they played a washed Detroit team in the conference finals. No. That's the only reason they got to the finals. They, they played, played the more freaking like the Wizards 0-6. without they played the Wizards without Gilbert Arenas round one.
0: This is like the 06 Cavs. Fine.
1: Whatever. No, this, what there's there's a do? big
0: difference. There's a big difference where you run into I'm the, wild up oil. the
1: okay, I'm looking up while you talk who the Cavaliers played in round one and two. In okay, 2007? round one, they played the Wizards. They swept them because, again, Arenas was hurt. Round two, they played the New Jersey Nets, who don't even exist as a team, by the way, anymore. <laughs> What's this? Wash, Jason Kidd, Vince Carter. Damn, Richard Jefferson, that squad. Mickey Moore was their fourth leading scorer. Who the fuck is Mickey Moore?
0: Mikey Moore. Actually, fun fact, I have his autograph when he was on the Kings. Because I ran into him in a in a PF Chang's after going to a Kings game, and I was like, uh, "Some autograph is better than none." So Mikey Morgan <laughs> signed my hat. <laughs> I think I actually remembered him. Do you
1: have dreads? Yeah, <laughs> dreads? yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember him. Yeah. Um. Anyway, nonetheless, the point is the Cavs played a bunch of scrubs, and that's why they advanced to the finals. Whereas, but why the- why did
0: you expect anything like? Here's the thing with Dallas. We knew this. We knew Luca's great. He's still great. Watching games one and two, there's no concern there. We knew this roster was... We knew Jalen Brunson was not going to be doing what he did to Utah. Against yes, we said that. Yeah, their length was life. just too disruptive. This has all been predictable. Uh, I think the one piece we didn't give enough credit to is I think we got a little scared of Phoenix. or People got a little worried about Phoenix around one. And, you know, Devin Booker also came off an injury. The Pelicans played him close. So is this the same powerhouse team? Well, it looks like they are. So the none of this is surprising to me. I think the hard part, though, is it's still another come to Jesus moment for Dallas where it's like, all right, what are we going to do? This roster is clearly you can't hope for a miracle run with Luka leading the way. There's still so many deficiencies on this roster that need to be addressed this offseason. It was a successful season for the Mavs, but with a guy like Luca, man, you got to be shooting for more, right? And so, and this is exactly what's like early career LeBron. The pressure is now on to not keep wasting away these postseasons where Luca's sensational, but the team is just not up to par. Well, they don't have a
1: top fifty teammate for for Luca, which I and that's the problem. Yeah. I don't know how to get one. I don't know who's out there that would be the right. Because even if you said, okay, a guy like Dame, can we figure out a way? Like Dame doesn't change the ceiling of this team, I think. they It has to be someone more defensive-oriented. Honestly, this is why the Giannis-Luca-like dreams were being made when Giannis was a pending free agent, because that's what the fit that felt so perfect. Now I'm sure there's going to be more whispers on Jokic, right? Because they're buddies, and Denver's kind of floundering a little bit. But, um, you know what? Nonetheless, I think... <laughs> I'm not going to let you do what you did to Miami. We have to talk Phoenix. This game, the Suns went 36 of 51 on twos. That is 71%. You watch their team. It's about as beautiful as basketball can be. From a standpoint of every single shot they take, seems like it's a good and open shot. Um, and when they do take difficult shots, it's Chris Paul and Devin Booker operating like magicians in the mid-range, coming off pick and rolls, coming off pin downs, floppies, et cetera. And like, they're just so elite at everything. They have no weaknesses. I don't know if we're, like, if you look right now, there's still plus odds to win the title. I don't know that I would take Phoenix over the field, I think, at this point. That's how much confidence I have in them. Next week when we record, I know Dallas will have tied it up 2-2 and Chris Paul would have like <laughs> hurt his hamstring. But, you know, I just, I'm just I looking at them I'm like, they have there's nothing they're not amazing at. And tonight was an absolute clinic. They took a punch in the mouth from Luka. He had 24 in the first half, like I mentioned. They were down. Come out in the second half and it's like, it's fine. It's clockwork. We got it. We'll get to our spots. We'll get to our looks. And, and good night. We're up 20 and, and see you guys later. We're going to rest in the fourth.
0: On paper, and based on what they've been doing, absolutely. The concern I have is, and something you can't really base a concern on, but we've seen it enough times. Like you said, the Chris Paul piece to it. If he goes down, now this team during the regular season with Devin Booker leading the way was still elite. But if Chris Paul goes down, and given how even offensively how much he's giving them, not to say the Suns will struggle, but it becomes – a lot dicier. And and Chris Paul is history is that that's very much a possibility. I think that's the only hesitation I have with the Suns. If you tell me, like you said, full health on paper, you're right. I think I'd take them over the field too, given what we're seeing in the East and some of the limitations of those teams. No one looks truly elite out there.
1: Maybe Miami.
0: Uh, Yeah, I, I'd say the same.
1: You know, I think, they were you you look at a guy like Luca. they were hunting him down the stretch just abusing him in pick and roll and it's not easy to do that versus a pretty big wing like he's not like Trey Young where he can just get exposed like that defensively the fact that they're able to do that one has to do with Chris Paul's just genius and just how good he is and two has to do with the fact that there's no players for Luka to really hide on. He can't even really hide on Jay Crowder, because Jay Crowder's making a lot of threes, being active on the boards. Definitely not hide on Mikel Bridges, who's more than capable of Jack hitting shots. And I just don't know. Like, Luca's struggles in the last couple postseasons, as great as his numbers are, is that he fades down the stretch because he either gets fatigued or the defense keys in on him or both. It happened versus the Clippers two years in a row, and now it's happening versus Phoenix. He's got to. That's something he's got to work on and figure out how to how to get around. But you know, I think the, the the number one thing is like, I don't know how to consistently get stops against the Suns, um, especially now that Booker's increased his range and become a great three point shooter. Aiton is so much more skilled than the traditional kind of role man that you'd usually get at center, and then. You know, Chris Ball is 11 to 15 today. Two two games ago, he was, what, 14 of 14. If he's playing at that clip, I mean, I don't – it's just – there's just not enough possessions to get back, right? There's not enough ways to recover from a six- or eight-point deficit.
0: There's not. And a guy like Mikel Bridges, who we know can put up points, you know, based on, like, the 30-point game he had in Booker's absence, they don't even need him to do much. He shot six times he's yep. like your third fourth or fifth option in terms of offense um he can be and you can still crush an opponent when you have that kind of offensive versatility how do you trade buckets with them i honestly don't know like and that's that's why this warriors suns matchup is going to be fascinating because the warriors absolutely can do that when they're clicking when we have clay playing like clay and Pool and Wiggins, you know, occasionally contributing. Yeah. But outside that, of the Warriors, I, uh, these teams are, yeah, you're right. Like, how do you keep up scoring-wise? It's just difficult.
1: Like, if if Memphis was playing the offense that they're playing versus the Warriors versus the Phoenix, it wouldn't work. smoked. Because they would be able to take away Ja. They have so much length to bother him. Bridges, Booker, again, they don't have any weak defenders either, so there's no Jordan Pool on the court. There's no Steph Curry, who's a fine but below average defender, I think. There's no Klay Thompson. Like Literally, they have five excellent defenders playing almost all the time. It's really just if campaign maybe is out there. And again, that's spot minutes, 10, 12 minutes a game. Yeah, I mean, we need to see Golden State Phoenix. We deserve it um, because I think that's those have been the two most creative and fun offenses in the league this season. And I'm very, very curious. And and both good de- defenses, but Fe- Golden State's had some had some issues. I think post Draymond injury, we need to see what that looks like because I think that's going to be fascinating. Just chess match there. That might be the best series of the entire postseason. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this is what we talked about. I think if that, and then it's Milwaukee, Miami. Those are who I want to see. Who's Boston, Miami, Miami. huh? Never. <laughs> Which is funny because Miami is a big market who's had a lot of recent success. Like they, they don't won- have a rabid fan oh, here's the uh, here's
0: the reason why you don't hear about them also. And because the nobody one- cares. No, no, it's not only the media, it's the Twitter sphere. Think about how much we're on Twitter. Think about how much you hear people defending the Celtics, or obviously Boston has its own homers. Um, Bucks, Nets, like there's no polarizing opinions about the heat. There's no fan base rapidly defending them. There's no people looking to criticize them, whereas all
1: these other teams have some polarizing figure that you latch onto one side of the argument. And the Nets don't have any fans either, but they do have like three of the most, maybe the, <laughs> numbers, the top three most polarizing players in the league. And they yeah, had the exactly. fourth too. The they four hate. most polarizing players in the league all played for the Nets this season. Oh, sorry, yeah. did not. Three of the four played for them one of them just got back surgery under their health insurance policy. But um, uh, anyway, speaking of Harden, one more stat for the road courtesy of Nahal, who just sent this is Harden has now attempted one total shot in the fourth quarter of games one and two. Um, So if you remember Ben Simmons attempted one total shot in seven games versus Atlanta last year in the fourth. So that's the same thing. And and Embiid must be so, I mean, and already called
0: him out. I forgot which, after which game. Remember, he said we need Harden to be more aggressive. Yeah,
1: he's like, I can't make him more aggressive or something like that.
0: And it's the same thing he said about Simmons.
1: Well, he wanted Beal, and let me tell you something that Bradley Beal—he would get shots up regardless of the situation. <laughs> they may be down forty, but he would be shooting, and that's all. Maybe all Embiid wants is a guy who will take shots. He should get Clay. Clay will shoot. Clay, Clay will shoot. loves shooting. <laughs> If you were to trade Harden, by the way, I goddamn, I, I can't believe we're going back to him. But what would be a package that you think would make sense and that a team would be interested in on the other end? Uh, I whew, off the top of my like head. the Knicks. Knicks, like, do the Sixers get better if they bring back Fournier, Randall, Burks, and a pick for Harden? Mm. Build around Maxi as your point guard, and then you have more shooters with Burks and Fournier, and then you hope Randall kind of reclaims his his you know All NBA glory last year. I don't know if I like that either. Um, you need yeah, Fournier if, kind of sucks.
0: I would. What if you just go back to CJ McCollum? I don't know. Pelicans Harden could be good on the Pelicans. He doesn't have to score; he just facilitate. Got Ingram and Zion playing off him.
1: So bring CJ finally to Philadelphia after fucking years of rumors. Yeah, maybe. Um, I don't know. One don't more know stat. Right. One more stat here from our threads here courtesy of Mo. Suns went after Luka 50 times as a screen defender. They scored 1.72 points oh per opposition. Oh my god, positions. that's that's actually insane. So to put that in perspective, when we say the best offenses in the league have high teens, Points per 100 possessions, that means in this metric, they'd be 1.18, 1.17. This is 1.72. 50 times. The Suns had the seventh most accurate shooting game in NBA playoff history tonight. Insane. And they were down at half. They were down at half. And scored 58. It wasn't like a crazy game. They scored 71 points in the second half. I mean I don't know I don't know what I don't know how the Mavs counter that the Mavs have this amazing defense throughout the regular season looked a little leaky end of the year tightened up against Utah and now the dam is broken
0: yeah it's a defense that always they get by because of General discipline, right? The, the only real plus, plus defender is Finney Smith. Yep. At a certain point, like, the rest of the roster is just not there defensively. So any elite offensive team is going to make them look bad. Yep. But your, but your boy, Bertans, had the highest uh, plus or minus on the night for the Mavs. Surprising. It was
1: funny to watch him because he's been in a coffin for the last, like, <laughs> three months since the trade. But it was actually funny to see him, like, stroke threes. And, again, he went three of seven from three. But that's all he can do. All he can do is come off come off picks and just jack threes with reckless abandon. He can't do anything defensively. He can't even make a pass. So I'm not too worried about Bertans. I still think we won that trade, um, despite what the Mavericks were able to do without Porzingis. And we'll yeah. see who they can acquire down the line. But I don't think Dinwiddie and Bertans are rewriting the history for that franchise. Oh, Dinwiddie's been. I mean, he's been bad. He was touted he was as a really
0: second bad. fiddle for a while, and he's not even that anymore.
1: No, three of 10, 11 points. I think he's had one or two good games in the playoffs thus far.
0: Yeah.
1: Um. All right. Anything else to add?
0: No, I'm just I'm waiting for what is it? Game three of uh, <laughs> Golden State Memphis, and
1: that'll come Boston in alone. early 2023. I think was that the schedule? We're yeah. out. We're, we we might not record next week. You're out of town you're going on a little vacation um you're also the only one that knows how to edit these podcasts which makes it tough when you're out of the office a lot of key man risk that we're facing but maybe I'll just record an uninterrupted 1 hour voice note and then text it to you and then have Yeah, you we'll, we'll find spot. a way to get something up. But yeah,
0: I I probably won't be there next week. So when we when we come back 2 weeks from now, where will we be? End of the second I mean, these finals? series
1: will be overs. These series will be over. And we're just starting the conference finals probably at that point. Essentially, yeah. Cause if you look, if you think like game like for example, games um threes are Friday, Saturday, right? And then if I'm just looking ahead here, game Thursday, May 5th. Okay, so that's Sunday is games four for Phoenix. So Wednesday, May 11th is game sixes and game seven. So basically next, the following weekend, Friday, Saturday is kind of like when game sevens would be. Yeah. And some of these are going to conclude before then. And I'll be back on that Monday. So yeah, pretty much right at the start of the
0: conference finals.
1: Yep. All right. That's a wrap for us. Please rate, review, and subscribe to Thick and Thin Hoops. Please follow us on social media. We will talk to you next week.